everyone. Welcome to episode 24 of the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I'm your host once again, Robbie Burke. And on this episode, I have the pleasure of interviewing Jane Bennett. Jane Bennett is the author of The Pill, Are You Sure It's For You? On this episode, me and Jane discussed everything and anything to do with the pill, female health and female hormones. We discussed topics such as side effects of the pill, natural contraception methods, as well as prenatal nutrition and lifestyle protocols to enhance optimal fertility and conception. And we discussed many, many other topics. Um, as with every other interview up until now, guys, this was an extremely informative interview, and I hope you guys really enjoy it. Okay, Miss Jane Bennett, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on my show. Just for anyone who's not um, familiar with who you are and your background, just fill us in. Oh, okay. Uh, hi, Robbie. Uh, great to be with you today. So, uh, my name's Jane Bennett. I'm a, my background is social work and I'm um, an author. I've been working in the field of natural fertility management for sort of about three decades now, so quite a long time. Um, and I work with, I work with girls and mums. Uh, around having a positive experience of their menstrual cycle as well. So all, all that sort of stuff. How did you get into to this work, Jane? Well, when I, I probably had a fairly typical experience of contraception, you know, in my sort of mid to late teens and in my 20s. You know, I had an experience on the pill, which wasn't so great. I had uh, quite a few side effects. Uh, I uh, had an IUD for a while and had another whole batch of side effects. <laughs> I, I then tried a diaphragm and found that that was much better. Um, and then I came across natural fertility management, which is a particular uh, way of learning uh, the fertility awareness methods. And this is this is uh, this was by, um, founded by a woman called Francesca Nash, who's an English woman actually, but lives in Sydney. And uh, it's, uh, it's particularly framed around health. Uh, rather than uh, rather than any sort of particular moral reasons for being on contraception or not being on contraception, so I learned those methods. Um, and what I found really quickly, I, I went along. I had a, a new boyfriend at the time, and um, you know I, I'd been interested in these methods, and, and he was really interested too, and said, "Yes, let's give this a go." So with that extra encouragement. We went along to see Francesca, and I went home with, you know, lots of information and and charts, and and really started learning how to uh, check uh, various body symptoms and chart those. And in a short time, I really started to get a sense of when I was fertile and when I was what not. And particularly, I mean, early in the early days, there's just a few windows of time that I go, okay, I'm really clear, I'm not fertile. They're not based on just information, but based on what I was reading in my body. And for me, at the time, that was a like a, a total epiphany because nothing in my life up until that point had given me the sense that I could know my body well enough to use that uh, for contraception. And yet, once I started learning the methods, I really found that was that was so so much so that after a while, the um, excuse me <coughs> the um, um, the, the main benefit was just knowing my body and knowing what was happening, where I was in my cycle, what, how I needed to care for myself at, di- at different stages of the cycle according to, you know, if I was having uh, uh, hormonal symptoms. And the side benefit became contraception rather than the first. So that really got me going. And, and I've really been... And then, of course, I started learning in, in order to uh, use those methods professionally and share them with women and you know, over the years um, teaching health professionals as well and doing a lot of writing around that. So so I'm still really on that wave, <laughs> Robbie. How, how have you found the kind of conventional medical establishment to natural fertility methods? Generally, um, generally it's very... There's very little understanding of the um, fertility awareness methods of, of whatever whatever variety. Uh, often they're all lumped together along with the rhythm method, um, and and it's not something that generally doctors would uh, learn anything about in a, you know during a, a regular course. So it's only if they particularly have an interest and and go off to learn those. But uh, I think the doctors who are able to share that are, are fairly rare beings. 
Um, so there's, uh, doctors tend to be much more conversant with um, drug therapy. That's one of their main modalities, and they're so, so obviously they're um, more, much more inclined to prescribe um, one variety of the pill or another. Um, so it does in many for many women. What what the result of that is is that they don't really feel they're getting informed choice. Uh, later on, they might learn about other methods and come to use other methods, but um, often report that they they weren't getting you know as much information as they really would have liked when they were first approaching um, health professionals about contraception. Can you speak about the side effects of the pill that that you've learned about? Yes. Now, how long have you got? <laughs> is the question. I'll talk about a few. Uh, the pill, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, there, as, as uh, listeners would be aware, I mean, there's various formulations, but they're not all that different. You know, they're either they're either just synthetic progesterone on its own, or a combination of synthetic estrogen and synthetic progesterone. And other forms of hormonal contraception fit into just either of those two categories as well. In order for those drugs to switch off our fertility, which after all is a natural function, and I'm not by saying that suggesting we sort of just keep having babies all the time, uh, but there are other ways to manage it. Uh, so, you know, in order to be strong enough to switch off our fertility, um, they, they need to be quite a powerful drug. And in order to have that much extra, um, not just hormone, but synthetic hormone in our body, it actually affects all our organs and all our systems and the functioning, you know, right through the body from the from the brain to the blood to the consistency of urine to our nutritional uptake and so on. So because it's, it's quite a um, universal impact it has, how it will affect individual women will probably be much more about um, what her particular health sensitivities are or her genetic sensitivities. So some women might find, and, and this is really a very common uh, side effect, that their libido plummets. And, and for many years may think, oh, it's just me, you know, I don't have, a, I don't have much of a libido. When they come off, they suddenly find, oh, I really, it wasn't me, I really have a libido. Uh, similarly, um, uh, mood disorders, depression, a lot of women will experience that they have a kind of a low-level depression for years and think it's them because if they go on the pill, say, in their late teens, they're really coming into adulthood with this. So getting to know themselves with being influenced by this drug that they're taking every day um, and, and often years later when they come off it, start to find that all sorts of sim symptoms and, and things that they thought were them begin to change. So there's just a few. Um, one of the main effects that, that can sort of just creep up over time is that the pill um, affects the pH uh, of our intestines, which affects our nutritional uptake. And over time, we can become uh, quite deficient in certain key nutrients. And, um, you know, and this will then play out in a whole lot of other symptoms and conditions. So it's, it's, it's a sort of quite a complex and, and big picture. Can you also touch on the pill's role with regards to, to breast cancer? And also, too, I've, I've spoke to I've a few friends that, that you know, are, are medical doctors themselves. And I brought up the fact that I was reading your book and straight away she got very defensive she's like well it's it, it, it's protective against you know uh, i think cerv cervical cancer or ovarian cancer and then i was like okay even if it is i still have a boatload of negative effects like you know breast cancer and the nutritional deficiencies and the blood clotting depression but can you just touch on to the pill and cancer sure absolutely um and and your your doctor friend was quite right there is a um a somewhat of a protective effect of the pill in terms of ovarian cancer. However, it increases the rates of all other cancers. So um, to me, it's a little bit dubious to take it for that <laughs> or to be influenced by that when there are, there are so many other side effects. And actually, the reason that it, it does have a protective effect for ovarian cancer is that uh, the pill will stop ovulation. So there's not ovulation. There's no ovulation happening in most cases. And... Um, uh, so that when a woman uh, has a period while she's taking the pill, it's actually just a withdrawal bleed. There's no natural cycle going on. So because there's no ovulation, there's less stimulation of the ovary, which can reduce uh, the incidence of cancer. 
um, but so will so will pregnancy, and so will healthy diet and lifestyle will reduce that risk too. So I would recommend if anyone's concerned about that or thinking of taking the pill for that reason, that actually they they really do a bit of research around um, the best protection in terms of nutrition, exercise, uh, and so on. So other cancers, um, it's been found that. Uh, if a woman takes the pill for four years or more before her first pregnancy, it doubles the rate or it increases significantly the rate of breast cancer. Uh, if a woman takes it while she's in her teens, and most women who do take the pill will start while they're still in their teens, uh, it doubles the risk of breast cancer. Um, and when, uh, although it's quite rare, when uh, young women get breast cancer, uh, if they've been on the pill, it's, it really uh, increases the risk of them, them dying, you know, quite early. Uh, so that's a, that's a really worrying one. Uh, the cervical cancer is definitely a higher risk uh, while a woman, or, you know, not even while, but even after a woman's on the pill. Another really interesting piece of research that I came across not that long ago was that the pill um, increases... When women are on the pill long for a long term, like a decades or decades or several decades, um, for each decade it increases by 20% the uh, her arterial plaque, so the plaque in her arteries, which increases when, as she gets older. It increases her risk of of heart attack, um, and this doesn't go away when a woman stops taking the pill. So if a woman's taken it for 20 years, 10 years, or 20 years. For each of those 10 years, there's another 20% than she would have had if she hadn't been on the pill. So these, sometimes these side effects are not things that are really apparent at the time. It can be something that uh, just plays out in our health for, for the rest of our life. Okay, so you, you have a, a, a woman come to you and she wants to get off the pill. How does that process go? And even, even if she doesn't want to come off the pill, how would you go about trying... Maybe not to convince her, but how would you bring across this concept of natural fertility? Sure. Uh, well, it depends. You know, of course, it depends on what her what her questions are, what her concerns are. Um, my my the primary position is wanting to offer women informed choice. So, if a woman uh, chooses uh, to stay on the pill or to be on the pill and is fully informed of um, you know the, the the risks and and knows what side effects to look after, uh, look out for, and uh, is aware of, of what side effects can be building up over time. Then that is her choice, and, and she's uh, you know she's able to make that. What I do, um, uh, what I, what does really concern me is is the number of women that are taking the pill who aren't fully informed and possibly aren't even really aware of what's in the in the brochures in the pill. I'm not sure. I think um, you have little, do you know if you have little flyers in the in with the pill packets in Ireland? I, I actually personally myself I don't know. No. Um, I, I would suspect you do. Uh, we certainly do here, uh, do in America, do in England, Canada and so on, so I I'd, I'd be surprised if you didn't. Uh, those little Flyers. Uh, there was, you know, in the 1960s and, and 70s, there was a lot, a strong push to have uh, warnings with the pill because of, um, you know, people were really discovering some very serious side effects at that time. So, uh, so it's really important, at the very least, that women read those and take seriously what they read there. For instance, one of the side effects that you would read in those uh, little flyers would be that if you if a woman experiences breathlessness that uh, for, for, for sort of not, not a really obvious cause then uh, that's something very serious on the pill and it's important that she goes back to her doctor now it's also important for a woman to, to know what that's signaling because sometimes doctors don't pick that up either and, and may just think it's a flu symptom because it can be a precursor to thrombosis and I have known uh, women who or a woman that particularly comes to mind a young woman who had no family history, no personal history of thrombosis, and actually died. Um, uh, and had had a couple of months before she died, she had had this breathlessness, uh, went to the doctor, it wasn't picked up, she was just given an antibiotic. Uh, but if it had been picked up then, she would, have, she would be alive today. Can you speak about, um, with regards to, to, the, to, to the natural... 
uh, you know, natural contraception, how, how a woman can, can start to understand, you know, her body temperature, moisture, uh, and the position of the cervix and, and things like that? Sure, yeah. Um, the main thing is there's, there's, there's a number of, uh, you know, the, the, the methods themselves are, you know, very well researched um, and really not, it's not brain surgery, it's not really not that complicated. And there's a number, uh, as far as I'm aware, and I don't, I don't know what's available in Ireland, but there's a number, quite a few different, uh, you know, methods of teaching this, uh, different, um, you know, schools of schools of teaching these things. Um, so you may have very likely to have people there who are offering, it might be called natural family planning, um, you know, you could you could Google that and you'd, you'd find a sort of a whole collection of them. Uh, the main thing is that they're effective when they're well taught um, and the, during the learning phase uh, that there's real attention paid to, to learning those symptoms and it does involve, during the learning phase only, charting every day. So it will be charting uh, cervical mucus, but that's just collected at the mouth of the vagina. It doesn't have to be right up at the cervix. Uh, taking the temperature every day and also checking other uh, secondary symptoms. But the primary ones are the cervical mucus uh, and the temperature. And through that and through get, looking at those charts as they, as they take shape over a month and over a few months, uh, a woman can get very, very clear about what the signals are for uh, ovulation, uh, what the signals are when her cervical mucus is starting to become fertile, uh, indicating uh, that in a few days she will ovulate. And of course, it's key to know <laughs> beforehand because it's not it's not going to help you uh, practice contraception if um, you know you've oh suddenly I'm aware of ovul I'm ovulated, but I have I had uh, intercourse last night and lots of you know robust sperm are all there waiting for the egg so it's it's key to know several days beforehand so all of these uh it's, it's important to search out a good teacher or a good method uh it can be done with uh just books uh but just to just to do it thoroughly and one of the things i often say to women because understandably a lot of women are really concerned and they don't want to they don't want to have a an unplanned pregnancy is that no one needs to take a risk um, because you it's only when you're confident that what you're seeing is uh, the infertile time that and you and that when when a woman sees that and feels that that's usually when she really really knows that that's what's going on as a result of her learning process so women can use uh, during their fertile times they may they and their partner might they've got a whole bunch of choices they can practice abstinence they can use barrier methods and I would always recommend a, a good spermicide with a barrier method um, or they might use alternate uh, sexual practices that aren't going to risk a sperm eating a, a nice healthy fresh egg can, can you, you just said the word spermicide there I found the the spermicide recipe in the book very very interesting for just for people who don't know what a spermicide is could you could you just elaborate on that so, sure, well, uh, it, it probably is a word, it's probably a little bit self-explanatory, but it, spermicide is, um, uh, is, is some substance that will kill sperm. <laughs> and some are, some are more effective than others, and we have natural means of doing this too. Interestingly, um, uh, m a lot of the time the, the vagina itself is, is somewhat hostile to sperm. So sperm that are through a barrier method, say through a diaphragm, are held in the vagina. Uh, will die quite quickly anyway. Um, but uh, a spermicide, there, there's various um, commercial uh, brands on the market. And I, again, I don't know what's available in the shops there, but there's a, for those who may be a bit sensitive to the uh, chemical varieties, there's, they should be able to get online, uh, there's a natural uh, spermicide called Contragel, uh, spelled as it sounds. Um, and that a lot of people are finding that much better to use, you know, if they're, if they're sensitive to spermicide. Can you speak about IUDs and, and their, their um, effectiveness and is there any side effects with, with IUDs? Yeah, um, IUDs, they, they, in, the, in the old days, uh, in my experience of an IUD, it was long before they, uh, they, they, had an IUD, now you can get IUDs that release a, um, a synthetic progesterone. So that it sort of has, it, it increases 
one of the one of the dangers with the IUD, I mean, a, a practitioner needs to be very skillful to put it in correctly um, and safely. There's about a one in a hundred risk of a perf perforation of the uterus, which can, of course, lead to infection and can be quite can be quite serious. Um, a lot of practitioners won't uh, insert an IUD in a woman who hasn't had a child for that reason. Um, a lot, most women who uh, use an IUD find that it increases significantly their uh, pain uh, during menstruation, whether they, they might not have had pain before, but they have significant pain uh, with an IUD, so that's a common side effect. I think it's about one in five women who have an IUD and will have it taken out in under a year because of side effects. Uh, that doesn't mean that the rest don't have any, but they're either not... That you know they're 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 happy to sort of put up with it, or uh, or they don't have it. Yeah. Something I I actually meant to ask as well with regards to the pill was you spoke in the book about this first, second, and third generation uh, pills. Can you just speak about the first generation that came out and the, the disasters that actually happened with it? Sure. Uh, yeah, the first generation uh, pills came out. I think, well, I don't know about uh, Ireland, but I know in England they were, you know, released and available to the public in 1961. So it might have been the same or it might have been a bit later. I don't know there. But uh, they, were, they were much higher doses than what, what we have now. And uh, the, the, you know, the side effects were, were huge. And actually, the interesting thing is the, the, um, the study, the research on women uh, for you know, to before the before the pill was released in America, and that was the first place it was released. The research was done on a group of Puerto Rican women, 132 women, um, and, and these were women who were you know they they needed to be known to be fertile, so they had at least one child, and and of course they were in their fertile years, so not not older women, even though. Uh, there, uh, two of those women died during the study for no known no known causes, but they, no one checked what that was. They were just sort of taken out of the study, um, and so the only thing they were really testing was the contraceptive effectiveness, and it was and it was fairly effective. So so then it was released onto the market. So it was pretty, you know, as far as checking for how. Um, you know, side effects and how safe this is. You know, it was it was real cowboy times, <laughs> um, and it was only through women and medical profession professionals putting two and two together over the next decade or so that they became aware of um, you know mysterious deaths taking place and and you know permanent disability that women were many women were experiencing. So uh, because of the pill. And uh, that gradually, they you know they developed a bit of a picture of what some of these side effects were. So they weren't discovered in the testing phase; they were discovered in the let's roll it out to the general public phase. You made a great point in your book, or an analogy really, about life having cycles and rhythms, and and you know a balance basically. And you spoke about the circadian rhythm and saying you know our day night cycle and if you know if that went out of balance like we started sleeping at wrong times and whatnot you know most people would would, would clearly think oh well that's obviously not good messing with this cycle and then you kind of said well how can it be good to mess with your own natural cycle by taking you know detrimental contraceptives for long periods of time and i actually had a, another friend <coughs> who, who does psychology and, and she said that she read a paper that said oh women should be able to stay on the pill for their whole lives with no yeah. with no effects and my only answer and i i never argue or, or like i'm always open to everyone's opinion but i just said to me it's illogical to, to stop something that naturally happens so mm -hmm. what, what what would your take be on that well i, I completely agree with you of course <laughs> um and uh, i think you know the 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 menstrual cycle and menstruation itself have have had you know a really bad rap for you know several thousand years. So you know in generally and, and that's changed shape over time. However, we're at a point now where we we see the menstruation and the menstrual cycle as something unnecessary as unimportant except for those you know two or three times in our life where we might want to conceive and have a child so 
for the average Western woman, that means 99.5% of her cycles, her menstrual cycles, are seen as uh, particularly by perhaps perhaps the people who did that study you mentioned or, or many many in the medical profession, seen as something useless, something that's a waste, something that's unnecessary. Now, um, and very little research has been done about what this pro, what this whole cycle is in itself, not as a not as something to do with conception, but as a natural rhythm for women. And there are some people now starting to do research and finding, you know, starting to find a number of protective factors in having this having this natural cycle. Uh, from another point of view, one of the things that really concerns me is when young girls are starting to go through puberty um, and then starting to menstruate, if we as a society or as a community or as a family or a school or, or whatever they're involved with, or media for that matter, have a, um, a negative or shameful or hidden, secretive, sort of um, unvalued view of the menstrual cycle, I believe this has a really intrinsic effect on girls' uh, self-esteem and body image because women, as women, we we have you know we might have you know somewhere between 350 and, and over 500 cycles in our lifetime. We spend six and a half to seven years actually menstruating, and yet if we treat this as something you know useless and something bad and something not to uh, that we that we want to get rid of, um, it's it's it really has a very profound effect on on women's psychology. I think. Why do you think there has been such a, a negative mindset towards menstruation? And then, what do you think could be done to change this mindset? How do you think we could teach uh, women, and particularly the younger women, when they start to menstruate, to embrace their their period? Mm. Uh, well, the first part of your question is is enormous, and I think you know there's sort of a, a, there's room for a you know a PhD in that. Um, you know, it's it's been around a very long time. It's probably you know it, it's probably a, a, a very much a part of you know the, the whole patriarchal system of 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 religion and politics and all this sort of thing that has just devalued the process of processes of a woman's body. And of course, there are cultures that have really um, celebrated and and revered. Uh, fertility and fertility for its own sake, not just about having you know as many babies as possible, just for fertility for its own sake. And the process of a girl having her first period has, has been celebrated in many uh, societies. So you know it is it is something you know, but I can't just in a brief conversation go way back and figure out all the whys. They're just a, just a few little ideas. But the 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 what I think is important for us now is to realise it's not a neutral thing. It's not a, if you like, a level playing field. So for girls, it's important not just that we give them um, what I would call the plumbing information um, about their reproductive organs and about menstruation, but really look at what it is um, emotionally to be able to present a very positive view. And I don't mean a Pollyanna kind of view because... We all know, you know, a lot of women, and, and most women at some time might have some menstrual difficulties. So I'm not saying to pretend that's not so, but it's important to realise that's not menstruation itself. When we have those difficulties, it's a health issue, and it's indicating it's indicating stress, it's indicating hormonal imbalance, and it's indicating that we need to attend to our to our health. Uh, so I do believe it's very important to be able to support girls in understanding their bodies, in understanding how to care for themselves, in appreciating this, these miraculous processes that happen within our bodies. And that the menstrual cycle is of value for our, for our health, for our psychological and spiritual and emotional well-being as a cycle and to get to know ourselves and how we are and, and how to look after ourselves at all different stages of the cycle. And that we will be different at different times and we'll have different needs. So rather than feeling like I've got to be always up and productive and out there and when I don't feel like that, something's wrong, it just means that we have times in the cycle where we feel 
we might feel more quiet, we might need to be more nurturing of ourselves. Can you just, for, for the listeners, just give a, a basic expl- explanation or overview of a, a woman's cycle or, or what, what the general sort of, you know, um, what, what the general sort of, because everyone's every woman's cycle is different, but what the general sort of uh, idea of the cycle should look like? Sure, sure. Just, the, just you know, the, the average, um, the average process. Um, okay, so <laughs> there's there's lots that we can talk about the hormonal aspect of the cycle. We can talk about what's happening with the uterus during the cycle. Maybe, we can talk you, about yeah, the yeah, ovary. Um, so just you know, if we, if we think about start with menstruation. Menstruation is when uh, the lining of the uterus is, is in a way washed away um, and, and will start to come away and, and gradually over the next few days will we'll pass through the cervix and out through the mouth of the vagina. Uh, so on average that will be around five days but some women can be less, some women can be longer. It's around about the menstrual blood is somewhere between, on average, somewhere between three and five tablespoons over that whole period, over that whole time. Um, after menstruation is when the lining of the uterus is at its thinnest, um, and around about a week after that, the the pituitary in the brain will start to send messages to the ovary to start developing a whole uh, a bunch of new eggs. Um, on if on an, in an average cycle, and of course women's length of cycle will vary uh, quite a lot but the average cycle is 29 and a half days and uh, on average the ovulation will happen 14 days before the next period um, so at a certain point uh, with particular hormones really really peaking like um, follicle stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone uh, an egg will be released and it'll be picked up by one of the fallopian tubes, the end of which looks a little bit like a sea creature, sort of waving and creating a little current, and will draw that egg down into it. It takes about a week from ovulation for the egg to pass down the fallopian tube into the uterus. Um, but the egg is only viable for conception for between sort of 12 and 24 hours, usually. Um, all the meanwhile, uh, during the second phase, when progesterone is dominant, uh, the lining of the uterus is getting thicker and spongier and full of full of nutrients. Um, and then at a certain point, uh, the there's a uh, you know the, the, again the messages from between the brain and the ovary will say, okay, well this is not this is not happening this month. So uh, there's these little tiny corkscrew capillaries in the uterus which nourish the lining of the uterus, and they will close off. And then moments later, we'll open up again and flood that layer of uh, the the extra layer of the lining of the uterus and wash it away, and then the period starts again. Can you can you speak about uh, in your book? You spoke about this sort of analogy of of your a uh, woman cycle being like a spring, summer, autumn, winter, and that like different different parts of the cycle. You know, yeah. it's, you're 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 more empowered. You're more outgoing. And then, yeah. kind of towards the t- t- towards the end of your cycle, you're more reserved or you're more uh, introvert. And and the actual fact that this is okay that some women think that oh, if I'm if I'm not productive, I I, I must be lazy or or why am I depressed? And they kind of try and work their ways or just just they don't listen to their bodies. Can you actually speak about why the cycle is a feedback mechanism as well? Yes, absolutely. Uh, a lot of women find that using the metaphor of the, the seasons uh, is a really useful uh, way of understanding the different phases of the cycle. So the, um, just very, very generally, and they're not, they're not sort of even stages necessarily, and women will have their own sense of when one stage is finishing and one's beginning. But the, uh, the period is, uh, around the period time, is, is like winter, so it's a time to often a lot of women feel much more introspective, much more um, sensitive, needing to needing to uh, go inside during that time and not be sort of really pushing. I mean, of course, a lot of women still need to go to work and still have families to care for, but that can be a great time to just not do any more than necessary and to slow down and just do do what you need to do at the pace your body wants to go. It's a it's an important time not to 
buy into or give into urgency and, and because that's when we really start to feel um, uh, it, it, you know we're fighting with what our bodies need and can feel really unpleasant after menstruation is coming into spring and that can for a lot of women that can feel like a time of feeling new and fresh and and kind of just coming out of that sort of cave of winter if you like uh, with, with new energy it's a good time a bit like the buds and um, uh, and, and uh, blossoms of spring it's a good time to sort of treasure that newness and that gentleness and that softness not to not to rush out and be too um, full on <laughs> Uh, because that can, it can be a very creative time and a time of uh, new ideas. Around ovulation is is the, the full summer time, um, and that's that's uh, when you know we know through research that women uh, can be an, an much more outgoing, and they might be you know the, even their their skin and their hair and their smell and their eyes will be uh, brighter, uh, hair will be shinier, skin will be clearer. You know, it's, it's nature's way of having us be pregnant as much as possible and reproduce as much as possible. Um, and then after that, at some point, kicks in the autumn phase, which is the coming back down into ourselves. It's a time for sort of completing things and, and getting things off our plate, um, you know, doing some, doing some pruning and trimming, if you like. Uh, and it's a really, you know, this is one of the wonderful things about the menstrual cycle is for women who tune into that somewhat, it can become a, a really great sort of psychological and emotional rhythm uh, as a way to uh, work with what's happening in your life and how to be rather than, as you said, uh, you know, trying to be the same all the time, which really often ends up in feeling at a certain time of the month really crabby and really cranky <laughs> uh, instead of understanding why that might be and how we can look after ourselves at those times. Just for for uh, the females listening to this, they say, "Okay, I, I I understand what you're saying, but you know, I have to work. I have I have a schedule. Like you know, what 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 do you like? What would you suggest I do, um, with regards to when it's when it's around this time in my cycle where I'm not feeling too well, but I still have a ton of work to do." Mm. Look, it's a it's a really great question, and I have I have absolute sympathy <laughs> for for the women who might be thinking things like that so it's uh, we do what we can and I think one of the things that I found have found very uh, helpful is when I remember for me it was always a day or two before menstruation that I would start to feel that uh, angst and I would start to feel um, really less, less interested in the world you know I didn't want to be doing too much um, and once for me, of course, I still had things to do and I still needed to be involved in the world. So, but once I would remember, ah, that's where I am, I could flick a switch, like a, almost a metaphoric switch in my head and just take the pressure off myself a bit. So instead of feeling like oh, I have to have perfect house and garden, the children have to be properly fed, you know, I've got to have a career that's, I've got to be on top of my career and, you know, have the washing done and blah, blah, blah. I just flick the switch and go, okay, I'll, I'll do what's in front of me, I'll do what I can, um, and I'm just going to take the pressure off. Do what's necessary. Uh, you know, if, if you're cooking dinner, keep it simple. If uh, whatever it is, just take the pressure off. Keep it, keep it as simple as you can. And wherever possible, don't buy into urgency. Um, and help the people around you to be a bit more independent because as women, we are different at different stages of the cycle. So, for instance, maybe after menstruation, we're, we're much more, and around ovulation, much more able to keep all the plates spinning and feeling a bit more like superwoman and, oh, look, I'm managing my career and my family and, you know, and everybody's happy. Isn't that fantastic? So we tend to take on more at those times. Whereas often just before a period, we're starting to feel like, why can't these people do more for themselves? <laughs> so it's a great time to enlist help. Um, instead of thinking everything's wrong with my life, just you know, practice enlisting help and saying, you know, get, uh, you know, teach your kids how to cook a simple meal or feed themselves when they're old enough. <laughs> you know, make make something uh, a snack or something. 
ahead, have a little holiday. Uh, I think a lot too, and, and again, I'll get your opinion on this, is that I suppose, particularly you know, in the 20th century where there was this sort of fe- feminine-like movement, that you know women wanted to be seen as equals in the workplace with men and that was probably a contributing factor to like you know contraceptive and taking the pill because it was getting in the way of maybe their careers but then it probably put so much stress and strain on their health as well that it probably was yeah. detrimental to what, what, what would your take be on that Jane? Yes look I think uh, the pill you know we often hear about people talking about the pill as one of the greatest inventions you know great icon of sexual freedom and women's liberation. And I can certainly see how that uh, can be perceived that way. But of course, the truth is much more nuanced and much more complex. Um, uh, And yet, you know, the the appeal of a magic pill that will take care of all this um, is is very strong. So, but the truth is, it's, it's, we need to be looking at, you know, what are my needs, what's, what's, what's going to work for my health and my life, and be informed. And, you know, that's, a, that's an ongoing project, really, isn't it? It's, it's something we do throughout our lives. So, you know, if, um, you know, for, for women and for men and for their partners, you know, if you're at a stage of life where you're uh, practicing contraception or needing contraception, um, you know, make sure you're you're informed. And unfortunately, at this time, it's not always easy to get the information you need. So persevere. You know, if you're just hearing from people that are giving you a, a, a um, or speaking to some health professionals that would just give you a very um, uh, narrow view, let's say, uh, and, and are just just really trying to sell uh, one kind of contraception. Um, you know, you might need to search a little bit further, but there's lots of great stuff on the internet, and, and certainly uh, my book, The Pill, Are You Sure It's For You, uh, has lots of information and lots of links to other great work as well. Okay, um, let's get into the discussion then of some uh, symptoms women experience, uh, you know, so PMS, and then we'll, let's get it after that, we'll talk about endometriosis and fibroids. PCOS. So just we'll start with, with, with PMS and as you kind of alluded to in your book, it's the butt of all jokes with regards to, you know, men towards women, oh she must be on her period or whatever. So can you just yeah. uh, start with, with PMS, why it happens, what can we do for it and then we'll talk about the, the other symptoms as well. Yeah, uh, well it's a, it's a very complex picture so it's hard to, it's not going to be the same for everyone. Some, some women experience a very profound, very difficult, uh, deep dark depression, uh, intense anger uh, for a period and uh, for other women it might be just, you know, just sort of loss, loss of interest, low, low energy and or it can be a whole lot of things. It can, there's, there's a huge list of symptoms that can be called uh, premenstrual symptoms. Um, but usually, the, the, you know, the important thing to know is that in almost all cases, it can be treated really, uh, really quite effectively. It just needs to be understood. And the kind of therapies I would recommend are... You know, if you if you have a, a good naturopath who can look at nutrition, uh, herbs can be great. Uh, traditional Chinese medicine, acupuncture can be great. Homeopathy can be great. Yoga can be fantastic. Uh, it's just finding a good practitioner that you relate to, uh, and sometimes it can be something quite simple. Sometimes I've known people that just practice daily a very simple yoga posture, just sitting with their uh, on the floor with their sole, the soles of their feet together and their knees splayed out. You can sit and watch TV like that. <laughs> but that could, can make a huge difference. But it depends, you know, everyone's going to be a little bit different what works for them. Yeah, I, I like the, the, there's a part in your book where you talk about these two, two types of positions, these, these two particular yoga poses that really, really help with, with uh, PMS symptoms. And hmm. um, what about, uh, I, I, I know a few few girls with 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 like PCOS and, and endometriosis. Um, what would you recommend for these women? I know, of course, again, it's going to be individual, but you know, have sure. you, would you have sort of a general guideline like um, you know, nutritional lifestyle? Obviously, would be absolutely huge. What else would you suggest for these for these ladies? Yeah, well, uh, 
you know, again, it's a complex picture, and, and I'll, I'll speak about them both individually for a moment. Uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome is, is quite common, um, and as, as it sounds, it's to do with having sort of multiple uh, cysts on the ovaries, which will change the uh, hormonal uh, profile of a woman, and it will affect her cycle, affect her, um, affect her fertility, often a whole lot of other things in her, uh, in her system. One of the uh, conventional ways of treating it uh, has, has, is often the pill itself, is uh, seen as a way to regulate the cycle. Now, of course, that's really a misnomer because it wipes out the cycle and just replaces it with a, <coughs> excuse me, replaces it with a, um, a, a, a withdrawal bleed. Uh, so it, it can't, the pill does not treat PCOS. Um, and there are many doctors these days uh, really starting to turn away from that as a treatment and looking at looking at other ways to help women with PCOS. I do know that a, a skilled naturopath uh, who has worked with women's health um, can make a huge difference to the uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome. It's not something that can happen overnight. It, you know, it does take does take time. It hurts lifestyle diet and so on. But it is uh, it certainly can happen. A lot of women had have had great uh, results and, and relief from that. Uh, endometriosis is a, is a whole other uh, syndrome which uh, for those listeners who uh, don't know, it's where the, um, the type of tissue that lines the uterus is called the endometrium mm -hmm. and where this type of tissue uh, is growing outside uh, the uterus in the abdominal cavity and sometimes that can, and, and it will respond hormonally and um, and bleed hormonally, like like the lining of the uterus. Uh, for some women, they can have that uh, with no, you know, not be aware of any symptoms. They may not have pain. Uh, it can affect fertility, however. And for other women, it can be extremely debilitating and very painful. And for a lot of women, sort of somewhere in between. Um, this there's, there's a lot of uh, con, you know ways of treating this with conventional medicine. Uh, it may be treated with laser therapy, um, surgery of various kinds, and that can have varying degrees of success. Um, again, a skilled uh, sort of naturopath or traditional Chinese medicine practitioner uh, can also be helpful with that. But it's uh, you know again, it's not something that's you know if a woman is experiencing you know full-on uh, endometriosis, it does take some time and, um, and dedication to be able to make a difference. Uh, but natural therapies, uh, under the guidance of a skilled practitioner, an experienced practitioner, uh, are really the only way to make a, a lasting difference with that condition too. Can you just get into your philosophy with regards to nutrition and lifestyle? Not even just for menstrual health, but just health in general. What's your take on nutrition and lifestyle? Oh, <laughs> you ask really big questions, don't you? <laughs> um, well, look, I, I mean, I have to, I have to say at this point, I'm, uh, I, I have worked in my life as a, uh, in a way, allied health to naturopaths and uh, natural health practitioners. But I don't run a clinic myself, so it's really only my my observation and you know what I've what I've absorbed over the years. I think um, what I would encourage people to do is you know whether they whether they're just trying to maintain and support uh, well being, uh, good health and well being, or whether they're trying to treat particular conditions, is it's really important to be our own, to, as far as possible, become our own expert and go to health practitioners as people who are going to help us do that. I think, you know, at the end of the day, we are the ones who know our own body best and what it's like to live within this body. So I would encourage people to be as informed as you can be and find the, the um, modalities that work for you, the practices that work for you that help your health. And as I said earlier, this is a, it's always going to be a work in progress because, you know, life changes, our bodies change, you know, we, we go through different stages of life, we age, uh, and we're going to need to learn new things to care for ourselves. So I think having an attitude, rather than talking about, you know, particular, particular um, theories and philosophies and ways of being, but having an attitude of curiosity 
um, and awareness and being really uh, and having a healthy desire to be to be well and, and healthy and to get the most out of life and to be vibrant and not just buy into health is just not being seriously ill. <laughs> uh, that's just being alive and surviving. Mm. Uh, we can be so much better than that. And uh, But still, I think it's good not to put overly pressure on being the same all the time. Sometimes we are going to be unwell and we need to uh, that can be a signal to take care of ourselves and, and slow down a bit and, and listen to our bodies and, and what it needs. The, the, the kind of um, recurring theme throughout your book was these sort of testimonials from, from women who were like, you know, I used to have terrible periods and I used to see it as a nuisance and then they're like, but I'm so happy now that I've learned all this stuff and now I embrace it and I really enjoy it and I, you know and I, I've really become more creative and just in general they just feel so powerful being a woman and embracing being a female can you just kind of touch into that yeah well uh, you, you, you've said it really <laughs> um, it's uh, for a lot of women or uh, all women I know who uh, take the time to get to know their cycle and by that I mean it's not just a book knowledge of what the cycle is uh, but pay attention to how do I think and feel about my period or my cycle what and just observe that and why do I think those things why do I feel those things just take the time to observe what that is after all you know we we women are cycling for you know 35 to 40 years of our life so it's rather than treat it as something just we want to put behind us as quickly as possible uh, actually listen to it and then after that, uh, look at how we can befriend our period and our cycle. And that will be very different things to different women. For some one woman, it might be just taking a little bit of time off and having a, having a slow bath on the night she gets her period or, or something else, or just generally slowing down a little bit or not wearing heels to work on those days. It's, it's really very personal, but looking at... Uh, you know, how can I befriend uh, this time of the month for myself? And uh, after that, it, it can be really exploring what, uh, if I do have some symptoms, really finding out how can I look after myself, uh, what, are my, what are my needs during, during those times. If, if I'm having sort of recurring troubling symptoms, um, getting, getting the help. Uh, I need to to make a difference uh, to experience that um, in a healthy way because we don't. It's not necessary to have you know major uh, menstrual problems. It it that is an indication that something is out of balance in our bodies. There was something also very very interesting in in your book about um, when 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 a when a a woman is having her period has just finished her period she gets this bout of depression and you said it's kind of the body or it's this sort of thing that i had the opportunity to have a child and i didn't and it's kind of like that opportunity is now lost can you just get, that was very a very kind of when i read that i was like geez i never really thought about that can you just mm. maybe touch on that for the listeners yeah sure um and certainly for women who are wanting to conceive uh, the, that, that is exactly what uh, a period will represent. It's like, oh, another lost opportunity, another lost, uh, you know, and there can be a strong, as you can imagine, there can be an incredibly strong yearning for a child and for a pregnancy uh, for women at, that t at those times. So, uh, so it can be, uh, you know, for, for some women, really very distressing uh, when they get those, their period at those times. Um, just, just just about another two or three questions Jane and then I'll let you go um, just uh, I, I was asked by a friend just to ask I don't know if, if you have any information you might might be able to point point pointer in, in a direction or myself because I'm interested too but what what are your take on hysterectomies um, well I think research uh, has shown that the vast majority of hysterectomies that are taking place are not uh, necessary and not life preserving 
and often they're done, you know, it, it, they're, they're done in a bit of a, a gung-ho way. Well, let's, you know, there's, there's a bit of a problem, let's whip it out. Um, rather, again, I think it really ties back into the general um, uh, kind of attitude toward uh, menstruation, the menstrual cycle, the reproductive organs, women's reproductive organs especially, um, and seen as unnecessary once a woman has had her children. And um, rather than, you know, actually really observing what, you know, what is, what is this? What is it at these, uh, at these other times? Um, and it can, for a lot of women that have experienced that, it can be really quite distressing. Uh, at, at the same time, I would certainly have to acknowledge, you know, I, I would never um, uh, recommend for women who, who really are having great difficulties and this is going to make a difference and, and an improvement to their life. Uh, that's their choice to make, and, and we're lucky we have these options. Uh, but I would also, I also am aware there's a lot of uh, conditions that uh, a, a uterus may be taken out for that really could be helped um, with, with exercise, with yoga, with herbs, uh, with diet and lifestyle changes uh, without needing to resort to uh, really major surgery. And, and my, <laughs> my personal philosophy would be, where possible, avoid major surgery. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Could you touch on uh, menopause too, Jane? How, how could women make the transition to menopause much easier? Great, 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 great question. Uh, and of course, women, women vary enormously in how they experience menopause. Uh, for some women, they, they just sail through and it's, it's not a big deal. And for many women, uh, they're plagued with uh, you know, really difficult symptoms over, over a period of years. One of the things I would say helps enormously is, uh, you know, what we were talking about before is attending to the cycle in the years while, while you still have a cycle because that's a way of listening to, oh, what do I need? What's happening for me now? What's, you know, even within a busy life, there's always, I think there's always a bit of wriggle room. There's always a bit of room to ask a question and make some choices um, uh, to care for ourselves. And we're not generally trained to do that we you know we're, we're all still somewhat products of the the victorian era and and very strong ethics that say you've got to push on and push on and push on and this has an effect on our bodies and particularly for women around menopause if that's how they've been functioning uh, and it's very easy to do that <laughs> and we get a lot of rewards for doing that in a way our body really starts to complain around that time and we can be very tired It'll increase the hot flushes and other and depression and other um, serious um, effects that we might be having from menopause. So if a woman hasn't started to take the time to just, just listen to her body, what do I need? What realistically can I give myself to, to take care uh, earlier? It's a time when her body will really... Um, be trying to give her that message loud and strong. And that doesn't mean spending the day on the couch every day. <laughs> um, it can mean, you know, changing some um, lifestyle habits. It might be changing a diet. But it also might be getting to bed earlier and having, having more sleep or more rest or more walking in nature. It's really whatever, whatever is necessary for each woman. Uh, it's, it's, it's really variable. Another thing that I think emotionally women need to be really careful of uh, during menopause is it can be a time if we're uh, you know we, we really become aware of what hasn't worked in our life or what isn't working and these might be big things they might be middle sized things they might be little things and there's a real danger of getting becoming bitter if we entertain these things for too long mm. and it doesn't mean being overly Pollyanna about life but really really taking responsibility and looking at our own choices and, and working on making the best choices we can for ourselves. Can you speak about um, teaching uh, females to begin charting their period, like how, how to chart it? Sure. Um, when we were speaking before about fertility awareness, I mean, that's, that's a form of charting. Uh, and that's a particular form of charting to, to become very clear of when 
uh, ovulation is, when a woman's coming into her fertile time, when she's finishing her fertile time, to, to be able to use that for conception, if a woman's wanting to conceive, or contraception as well. However, there's a lot of ways of tracking the cycle, and some women like to do it more to track, uh, you know, look at what day of the cycle am I and how, what's happening emotionally. So they might have a menstrual journal. And generally, just for ease, we would call the first day of the period as day one. Now, of course, a cycle is, is a cycle and goes around and around and around, but we need to have some way to delineate the different phases. So it's easiest to call the first day of the period as day one. And that's, we can't, what we, some women will spot for a few days before they have their period. So the first day of the period is actually the day of a, of a flow of blood, not just a little bit of spotting. Um. It's just last official question here now is with regards to a couple who wanted to conceive and, and let's say the the female has been on a pill, the woman's been on a pill, can you just speak about the importance of prenatal nutrition and lifestyle to, to help both parents be as healthy as possible both physically and mentally and obviously emotionally and spiritually before they conceive to have a child? Yes, fantastic. Um, ideally, a couple would have at least uh, four months, and sometimes longer if there are if there are major health issues. But four months of dedicated preconception health care, and that would include not being on the pill during that time, um, and and really seeking out the best nutrition, uh, really avoiding alcohol, cigarettes, coffee, stuff like that, which can really interfere with nutritional uptake. Um, and uh, you know because we need we need that long to be able to nourish and have you know the healthiest sperm possible and the healthiest egg possible because even though they're such tiny things if they're in really good vibrant health it's going to make such a difference to the health of the child uh, and the, the health of the pregnancy the experience of birth uh, and there's a, there's a great um, series of studies done in the UK by a group called Foresight and uh, they have shown that it really makes such a difference to, to have really um, really good preconception health care and, and it reduces things like stillbirth, uh, small for weight babies, uh, behavioural issues, um, um, a whole bunch of stuff. You, know, that's, it's somewhat, you could just Google Foresight uh, and, and you'll come across that. I, actually, I I lied there. I actually had another question. <laughs> I forgot to ask. <laughs> That's which, okay. Which was, <laughs> I'm on a roll. Which which was um and a very very important one too because I actually I said I sent it in our one of our original emails is what is the man's role in all of this? Uh, and that's that's a great question. Um, it's I, I would say for men and you know, men are going to have all their, their own different personalities, so they don't fit into one into one pigeonhole. But it's also good to be as informed as possible, and uh, to be willing to really share uh, the decision making and the responsibility for contraception uh, with their partner. Uh, because often these days women feel pressured to be on the pill because. The, because it's uh, contraception, you know, generally is, is really dominated by hormonal contraception. We, we've come to a time where, you know, it's seen as something women do and something that women are responsible for. And that may be, a, you know, that, that may be a decision that a couple makes at some point. But if it's made unconsciously, without thought, um, it, it can put enormous pressure on a woman and, and her health. And ultimately, it, if, if her health is being affected, if, if she's emotionally being affected, if her libido is being affected, and, uh, you know, there will be effects, even if she's not aware that they're coming from the pill, it will ultimately affect the relationship too. So, um, you know, most men who come to understand the effect of the pill even though it can be really convenient in, in, in other ways, uh, really don't want their partner staying on it uh, or not too long and, and are, more, are really willing to uh, really search with them for other better, better ways of managing fertility. And it actually can be a very positive thing for a relationship where if the woman's really aware of her fertile and infertile times and as a couple 
they're working with those in whatever ways they're choosing to, it can be a, a, a wonderful um, closeness, an added closeness that a couple can experience. And a lot of people have um, expressed something like that and that it can really enhance their sex life too. I uh, I got a lot of funny stares anytime I I pulled out your book and started reading it. But my my friends are kind of and people who know me are kind of used to me, you know, like in what what they think is like doing weird things. But like you know, I always go, oh, what, why are you reading a book in the pill? Like, and I'm always like, well, why wouldn't I read a book in the pill? Like, I'm always like, like, what, like, do you not see how important this is? Like, I mean, you know, if 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 we want to have children, like, and you don't know this information, this stuff is so important. But like. I guess just they couldn't conceptualise why I'd be reading something about about the pill. It was very very funny though. Yeah, well, I'm sure, I'm sure you I'm sure you got some people thinking though. <laughs> yeah, true enough. Yeah, true enough. Um, Jane, yeah. la- last question is just with regards to resources. What what are good resources out there? You know, websites, books. Is there any DVDs? Uh, obviously, the National Fertility Method by by Francesca Nash is one. Um, sure. Any anything else? Um, people can go have a look if they're wanting to understand more about the natural fertility management methods and how to how to order a kit to be able to do this for themselves. Uh, they can go to a website. It's nfmcontraception.com. Uh, there's another website that uh, is Francesca Nature's clinic in Sydney and explains more about. It's got quite a bit about conception and preconception healthcare too and that's fertility.com.au um, and as you mentioned her book is called Natural Fertility and that's by Francesca Nash um, I can't I, I'll give you my web address if people if anyone has any questions they could go there and uh, you know and, and send me an email and yeah. I'll do my best to answer it and that's Jane Bennett and that's Bennett with two N's and two T's dot com dot au I'll, I'll, I, and just for anyone listening, I, I will link to to uh, Jane's website, Francesca's website, and also just plug your book there too, Jane. The the pill, are you sure it's for you? Where where can our readers pick that up, or our listeners, I should say? Uh, well, if they just they wherever they get books from, <laughs> really. Uh, I mean, I I tend to buy my books online these days, so I don't know, I don't know how much how how many bookshops they'll be in. But uh, if they just they just uh, go online, look for the pill. Are you sure it's for you? It's by myself, Jane Bennett, and uh, my co-author is Alexandra Pope. Okay, and guys, it really is. It's a, it's a great book, um, an easy read, but but it was lots packed, jam packed with, with great information. And I got mine from Amazon. And again, what I'll do in the show notes is I'll link also to um, the book. Jane, that was a fantastic interview. Just just stay online before I let you go, and I'll wrap up the show here. So, guys, great. Uh, gr- thank gr- you. A great interview. Um, again, want to thank thanks say thank you to Jane for for you know taking over an hour uh, of her day out to to sit here and talk with us and and uh, share some great information. So, for everyone listening, I hope you enjoyed that interview. Take care, and I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>